Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. Me and Dan and Uncle Lou from Stealth Outdoors sat down last night and talked about the mobile hunting industry, kind of the, the things that have happened in the mobile hunting industry over the last several years, how it's different than it used to be, and maybe you know we can predict the future, the what we think is going to happen in the mobile industry in the next five or so years. I think you guys are really going to enjoy this. We got into a bunch of good questions too at the end. Before we get into the episode, I have to thank a couple of my sponsors, the first one being Osseo Gear. Osseo Gear is a great option for whitetail hunters. They develop a premium line of bow hunting gear that will rival any other clothing on the market in quality. Plus, you get a lifetime warranty, which is awesome, um, from anything you buy at Osseo. They have a super unique camo pattern uh, and great technology in their garments to keep you comfortable in the stand. Visit ASIOgear.com get you some premium hunting clothing also got to thank exodus x doesn't have any ad reads at the moment just go over uh, to their youtube channel exodus outdoor gear and check out all the stuff they have on there that channel has got some crazy growth this year um, they also have a whole bunch of awesome podcasts on their platform um, they have the land podcast deer deer podcast they got um, their their trail cam radio all good stuff all kinds of good information on those platforms so go over to exodus stuff and and give them guys a subscribe and check them out hunting beast gear season's coming soon get your pre-orders in for the beast stand um, really can't beat a beast stand beast sticks i think it's one of the best systems on the market for mobile hunters go check them out at huntingbeastgear.com and finally gotta thank uncle lou over at stealth outdoors you haven't gotten your stealth strips yet get them ordered to get that gear all prepped for season it's right around the corner visit stealthoutdoors.com and get you some stealth strips all my partners are linked in the description below let's get into the episode hey everybody welcome to the show going on? lots Who's of uh, yeah we got a a, Thought uh, I funny. <laughs> we got a multiple repeat guest on tonight. What's so, going, Luke? Hi, Dan. Hi, Josh. Thanks for having me back. Anytime. Anytime. Luke came up with a uh, he. What did you message me? Maybe a couple weeks ago, and yeah, you had a. It was Fourth of July. And yeah. I, I thought I would yeah. ask Enfall a question that I don't think he'd been asked before and i wanted to hear you guys chime in and then we got talking about it you said let's make a show out of it so here i am yep something that uh well dan especially has been around like mobile hunting his entire life almost and there's been drastic changes i think over those years so just something we want to talk about but um before we get started got a correction from last week some uh people are correcting us on some of our news articles dan <laughs> <laughs> I thought it would be good to talk about it. We talked about last week about the baiting thing. And mm -hmm. I guess Minnesota, I don't know if it's our mistake. It may be the article's mistake, but Minnesota, they aren't making baiting legal during season. It's just out of season baiting is legal. Oh, okay. So it's similar to what Indiana is, it sounds like. Unless the guy that corrected me is wrong. But <laughs> I could have swore I read in that article it was... Well, that article I think was just a like a opinion piece article, though. Mm, I don't think yeah. it was. It wasn't the um, from the horse's mouth. I get. I guess that's what 
Um, he, I can't, I wish I was trying to, before the show, I was trying to look for the message. I couldn't find it for some reason on my phone, but the guy that sent it to me, sent me like a, a notification that Minnesota sent him saying to clarify that this baiting um, legalization is just outside of season. So. Yeah, I think, uh, I think some uh, places have that. I don't like that rule. Either you do or you don't kind of thing that, but yeah. uh, I think uh, Iowa has some feeding thing like that too, where you can yeah. feed them. And, but you have to remove all bait before so long till hunting season or something. That's how Indiana is. Indiana is it has to be disposed of ten days before you hunt the location. You can you can bait during the season, but you can't hunt. Um, and and like you can't hunt over the bait. And the hunting over the bait is defined in a really vague term. Like the deer can't be going to or from the bait site. Um, it's not like you've got to be within. 100 yards of it or something you know or outside of 100 yards so it's you know real- um, i had a um neighbor um who was baiting and i had shot a buck and the buck ran over and went by their bait and uh the warden contacted me about the neighbor and asked me about him because i know the warden yeah and asked me about his bait and stuff and uh I was telling him about a problem I had. I said, I, you know, I got a, I got a problem. And, and he goes, oh, no. He goes, you didn't shoot that buck within 40 acres of that bait, did you? And I'm like, no. And he goes, because if you did, I'd have to confiscate it. E- even if you don't know, it's against the law and I'd have to take it. I was like, whoa. So you could be hunting on your own property. Your neighbor's doing something illegal and you get your buck confiscated. Yeah, 40 acres, that's a long ways. That I mean, you wouldn't it have is. any idea. It can be on the next property over mm-hmm. and in Wisconsin. And you can get, you don't get, he said he wouldn't cite me. He would just take the deer away. He goes, because it was, he goes, it's not like you did something wrong, but you, um, you got the deer because of this guy's bait or it was influenced by the bait because of the, the range, not necessarily, but by law. By the way, the law is written, it would, yeah. be. which really isn't his deal. That's the law. Yeah, I agree. Deer hunting Cajun, that's ridiculous. I think that's it the stupidest ridiculous. thing ever. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I think they would take it's it. Shocking to me because yeah. I, as a warden, whether it was the law or not. Yeah. I, and if the guy legitimately didn't know. Yeah. The last thing I do is take his deer. I just say you can't hunt yeah. there until this guy gets his bait cleaned up. But I wouldn't take his deer. Did, yeah. Did I. Did I ever tell you guys I had the state of Minnesota change their reg book because of something they had written in it and it was kind of messed up? So I called them up. It was about 05, 06. And I, I was heading out there as, as I was on my way. I was in northern Michigan. I was up in the UP. And my brother-in-law calls me. And he said, you can't buy your tag and hunt until 72 hours after season started. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm only going to be there a few days. So I got on the phone with him and I said, hey, I get the intent. You don't want somebody from out of state drive over there, shoot a deer, and then go buy their tag and have it be ready to, you know, uh, usable. I said, I get that, but could you not put it in on page 118 with the wild rice regulations? And he says, you must be from Michigan. That was pretty smart. I'm like, I don't know what it has to do with <laughs> he, Michigan. He didn't say that. He did say that. <laughs> You're the one always ripping on Michigan, Josh. No, I'm not. You got Dan. my buddy Dan back. You getting smart confused with stupid. <laughs> so, no, seriously, the next year they put it on the front of the book. I really? said, just bring it up front. You know, if you're going to tell people that if it's in season and you're going to come from out of state, season's already started, you got to get your tag before you get here. 
And so they made that change. So you can contact them and talk about these things. Yeah. Most, hmm. most it used to be like in Wisconsin, you used to have to wait like uh, three days after buying your license if you bought it in season or something like that. But that was a long time ago. Yeah, I don't. There's no law like that in Indiana. But um, most most of the time, like if a uh, maybe it wasn't a new law, I guess. So maybe what I'm saying is irrelevant. But most of the time, whenever they have some kind of a weird change in the law or something, they put like an amendment on the front page, like all new new regulations for 2023 season or something like that. But I went to buy a Nebraska tag this morning, and they changed that system up. Uh, they're giving they so their quota lowered for nebraska the amount of tags they're allowing for the archery season and they're giving residents um essentially like two weeks before the non-residents can start purchasing license so i can't get Mm -hmm. on there i can't get on there and start purchasing my nebraska archery license until i think it was like july 23rd or 4th i thought Um, you could just buy them over the counter well you can but when they run out they're gone huh yeah Mm mm-hmm but the quota used to be pretty high, I think. Like, you know, you, I think they always had them as available. And they lowered them this year, and they gave the residents the first two weeks or whatever. It's today to the 24th, I think. You told just enough people on here that you're going to be one call too late to get your tag. Maybe. Maybe. But That's your dad of- can go carry, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we may not. I don't know what we'll do if we uh, if they're gone. or I don't know. You know, I don't know how many non-residents will. Well, they surely have it. You better get on your uh, dad and Gary to get on the tags right away. Yeah, we we uh, well we all we we both or all three of us were on it. Uh, it was yesterday morning, but oh, so you got we, them? No, we were we were on at the time it started, oh. but then. But we now you got to wait two weeks. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't available then, and it said the which a lot of non-residents don't know about that. I didn't hear about that. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Um, Again, I don't do a very good job of paying attention to that stuff. Like I mentioned, someone asked what our weaknesses were. Mine's <laughs> keeping track of all freaking every place I hunt, like tag systems and stuff. But um, yeah, I don't know. Hopefully we get them. If not, we'll do something else. Go to Kentucky or some other early season state. I don't, I'd really go to Nebraska than Kentucky. But did you guys see my uh, home invasion video where I shot the home invader? Was, yep. That was what we what we were just talking about. That one before we got yeah. on. Yeah. 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 I had a woodchuck invading my uh, my uh, basement, digging through the foundation. So I uh, spent the last couple of days in a tree until he showed up and shot him with Dave's old pump twenty two. So uh, I put a short reel up on uh, on the videos if anybody wants to see it. Yep. I thought it was pretty okay. good. Yeah, it turned out good. And you just filmed that with your phone. Yeah. I like maybe like five or six years ago, phones, I don't think phones, cameras were, you know, great enough to film with. But uh, as far as a deer, deer hunt goes, but man, like you sent me that uh, video, Dan, it's like, it's super clear and it's lo- it looks good. And mm-hmm. um, of you shooting that thing. Um, I should have filmed shooting some of the chipmunks too, because I got chipmunks doing the same thing, getting into the house. Yeah. Uh, matter of fact, uh, two of my shot got into the house and died in the basement. Oh man, yeah. starting to stink. No, I went down there, picked them up, threw them back out. Oh, it's yeah. funny because they all disappear at night, so something's eating them. Mm. Um, Will coons eat those? 
I don't know. I see them attack them when I'm feeding them. When I'm feeding them cookies and the chipmunks come out, uh, they, they go after the chipmunks. But I don't know if they're just being aggressive about uh, about the uh, food or, or what. Lou must have lost Lou. been offended by your chipmunk killing. Well, he was locked up. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed, but I was looking. No, at him. I didn't. I was paying attention to you. He was like this. Uh, <laughs> and he never moved, you know. So I knew he was locked up. So uh, hopefully he can get he... back on. Yeah, uh, that's all right. He, he provided the question. We can run run from there. But <laughs> he always he always yeah, want, has I'm really discussed it with him. Me too. He always has good input. He'll he'll get back on. He's been on before. I'm sure it's just a he's on his he's trying a new way of getting on. He got it on his computer instead of his phone. So maybe he's uh just having a hard time with it. Yeah, he'll he'll tell you he's not the most technologically um, advanced person in the world. So yeah, he's not real computer and phone savvy like me. Um, he's going to reconnect. He just texted me. How's your, uh, is your barn any farther along, Dan? Uh, no, I was talking, I was talking, go ahead. I was talking to, uh, Dave from razor broadheads, uh, today. And, uh, he was, we got to talking about just YouTube and my, our show. And he's like, my favorite thing to hear you bring up to Dan is his barn dilemma. (laughs) (laughs) I said, I know. uh, So we had a couple of things happen. I mean, uh, I had the uh, large pile of gravel moved. Mm. um, No, I got to get, there's got more gravel's got to come in and fill in the back. And and, uh, it's still got to have an inspection on the electrical again. And... uh, he called me today to ask me if I knew where his keys were for his equipment that's out here to check the ignitions, which is not in the ignitions. Uh-oh. So he lost his uh, ignitions. That'll be his next excuse. Apparently, apparently that equipment, though, all uses the same key. He said, you just go buy another key at the store. He goes, they all have the same key. I'm like, mm. what's the key? Why don't you just have a button? Right. Right. Um, yeah. My dilemma, I, I've been... Working on this, uh, I, we bought a cargo trailer. I think I mentioned it on here, turned into a camper. Mm-hmm. And I got the idea, I was like, the other, yesterday or day before, we're, we were planning on taking it, camping with us this weekend. We're going going camping for a little bit. And I was going to take it with us, and I got the bright idea. I'm like, I'm going to uh, change out the hubs in it, because the hubs are, had never been changed, and they're kind of old. The bearings need to be redone anyway in it. And so I went and bought hub kits for it. Well... The hubs, uh, or the sh- the um, the hubs require a it's called a spindle washer instead of the cottering pin system, like you put the pin through. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I took it all apart, had it all off, and I got them hub kits in, and then they they were the wrong ones. Well, the the right ones aren't in stock, so now I got everything apart and supposed to leave on Thursday to go camping. And so my tray, my, my camper is uh, just sitting in my driveway without tires and hubs on it. So hopefully I get it all put back together tomorrow, but nice. Um, it's been a frustrating day for me. Yeah, I had uh, Jamie uh, asked me to take him fishing the other day. Yeah. Um, the rat slayer. Yep. Lou, you're so, back on. Thank you. Sorry. So we backed up in, uh, Went to a place I haven't been in years, Landon Quarry, mm-hmm. um, and started driving back. And on the way back, my brake light came on. 
which mm. I've just I just had my brakes done, my whole front yeah. end, everything done uh, all the way around uh, a couple months ago. It cost me thirty five hundred dollars to fix everything. Jeez. So, yeah. yeah. So uh, the brake light comes on. I'm on the expressway doing eighty. So I I tap the brakes and something goes, and I'm like, what the heck? You hear this oh, grinding noise, and then all of a sudden it stops. The brakes work, but the light's still on. I'm like, well, that wasn't good. So we drive all the way home. I get home. Um, the bolts had fallen out of the, um, the caliper. And it uh, just fell into the tire, so it was cutting through the <sighs> wheel well. That was nice. Jeez. For $3,500, they should probably tighten those bolts. Right. <laughs> not, yeah, I imagine so. I was gonna, I was gonna show everybody. Um, well, that's what I wanted to get all this stuff done with this trailer because I, I didn't want to have a scenario like that. But I don't know. So now I'm kind of regretting. It. I wish I just would have went with it and Huck caught his. Uh, I, did. I spent thirty five hundred dollars because I didn't want to have a scenario like that. <laughs> right. Yeah. True. I guess just because you spend a bunch of money on it doesn't mean it's gonna work. Huck, Huck caught his first uh, fish at his papaws uh, over the weekend. Can't see it. What is it? It's just a little blue, blue, little blue gale. Yep. Nice. But we got up. We went and he stayed at our. Yeah, he was pumped. He caught another one after this too, and then it kind of the the bite draw draw uh, dried up. But um, we wanted to go. He wanted to go fishing, and it's not great fishing right now here in Indiana, but uh, at least in lakes. Um, especially we're just off the dock. We only had limited space to go and, but we caught a couple for him. He was, he was pumped. This is the first year he could, he had the patience enough to like, you know, fish. Um, mm. Last year we tried and he just kind of, he would get pretty uh, bored of it pretty quick, but I was pretty proud of him. He got it. He got all kinds of pumped up, but. So uh, me and Jamie fishing Sunday. Took the canoe out to some lake where we had to carry it way through the woods to the lake. And uh, uh, we're looking for some big northerns and some deep holes out in this, uh, what's really a pond. And uh, I put a uh, nine inch musky plug on. It was pulling it through and something just hammers it, pulling the canoe all around. I finally get it up and he couldn't get the net untangled. He got, he got excited and got the net tangled up in his rod. So uh, I just reached over and I grabbed this thing behind the gills and picked it up. And, and while I was holding it up by the gills, I said, take a picture. And the thing did a death flip, you know, as hard as it could. Yeah. And that tre treble hook the size of an apple just went right through my freaking thumb. And uh, uh, Of course it did. Did you ever get hooked to a thrashing northern? That was fun. Mm. Yeah. There's Jamie I'm, now. Did you guys catch it? Hey, Jamie, did you guys catch anything else? No, that was it. It's the only fish we caught. Oh, man. Otherwise, it got pretty boring. It was pretty funny. Like, as, as excited as Huck was about those bluegill, his Uncle Jared caught, like, a pound and a half bass, you know. Mm. But he was uh, he was very, like, disappointed that his Uncle Jared, he's like, I caught the most, but Uncle Jared caught the biggest. And I'm like, yeah, he, he's like, I wanted to catch the biggest one. I'm like, yeah, well. Yeah, you, you could have. Uh, there was, there was. Um, after we got on this uh, little pond, I was kind of surprised to see some people pull some more canoes down there. They're all in a group. Yeah, you know, and uh, dad and his dad and mom were in one canoe, 
and two little kids were in the other canoe. And this kid wasn't very big. I mean, he's probably eight or nine years old. And uh, he caught a northern, probably like uh, 20 inches long or whatever. And he was all excited. He's like, Dad, Dad, I got one. I got one. And when he gets this up, he's like, look, Dad. And he goes, I'll bring it over and show you. And his dad's like, just throw the damn thing back. I don't want to see it. And I was like, what kind of dad says that? Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> it was weird. <laughs> you know, you could hear it across the lake. I was like, man, I want to yell out. Boo. Yeah, right. Right. Oh, that's yeah. father of the year stuff right there. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. You've been fishing any Lou? You live on a lake. I do. I've been fishing. It's just down. I, I crappie fish out here and it's there's fish in the lake, but it, it's convenient. You can go out there, you know, after dinner, but gosh, the crappies have just been down the last three to five years. And so I just haven't been fishing as much. Same. I, I haven't been fishing much at all this year. Um, we always fish a little bit at my father-in-law's when we go up there in the summertime. He lives on a lake too, but that's about all I've done. We usually, my cousin has a pond that's, he stocked it. Um, he's probably been 10 years ago now when he redid that pond, but <clears throat> he's always like, he can't keep up with how many fish you're supposed to take out of it to like keep the, the population of fish healthy. So he's always bugging us like, come and catch these things, get them out of here because I can't, you know, he's busy with kids and everything. He's like, I can't, um, I can't keep up with taking enough bluegill out of here to keep them from, you know, getting small and too many of them. But, well, last year, do you remember where we were on July 8th? Were, were we up in Wisconsin? No, we were in Michigan. You guys did the live podcast from Buckshot's Grill. Yeah. In Clarkston. And yeah. just before that, that's when I caught that big 14-inch crappie out of our lake I was showing off last year. Yeah, that's right. I remember that. That was, was July 8th. Yeah. There was a big uh, – when Huck was fishing, you could – the water was pretty clear, so you could, like, see the fish eating the bait. And there was a pretty nice perch that kept coming around, and I was hoping he would um, he would catch that thing, but he never, never did bite. Uh, Anyway, we should probably stop talking about fishing or else everybody's going to quit listening to us. <laughs> yeah, I haven't caught any fish, so. <laughs> anyway. I just think the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, our topic tonight is just the, the mobile hunting industry and where we think it's going to go. I think, Lou, you kind of mentioned, like, the gear, if it's going to get any better and just if it's going to be kind of a fad or um, – all that kind of kind well, of stuff. Really, what I wanted to ask, if you want to just, I'll just try, take a stab at the question that I had in my brain that day. I wanted to ask Dan something that he hadn't been asked. And I think, and a lot of people think, I think Dan was instrumental in revolutionizing the mobile hunting market. And so I just wanted to ask him instead of how does this buck bed and what wind should I approach this mountainside or ridge top? I wanted to know what Dan thought, where Dan saw the mobile hunting market in five years, you know, there's been there's been a, a great number of new equipment companies. I mean, I, I almost think that the hunting equipment, what's the next? There's titanium, there's carbon, there's Dan's weight reduction holes. You know, it's almost like to me the bow, like the compound bow. It, it seems to have stagnated somewhat. I mean, what new technology can come on the compound bow? The, the wheels are fast as hell, right? The let offs light as hell. So I just want to know what Dan and even yourself thought of the mobile hunting market in five years. Where do you see it? You know, 
it almost seems like there's so much stuff rapidly coming up in, in uh, mobile hunting, but there really isn't. I mean, um, I started with the um, making stands and out of uh, solid uh, uh, extruded plate. I came up with that technology. Now you see everybody doing that and everybody's coming up with their version of it. And uh, you know, that it looks like a lot of stuff's happening, but it's really the same thing. Just spit out in different designs. You know um, the other thing is uh, uh, the 3d printing has started. Uh, it's been real easy to make simple little items like to, to attach to bows and stuff. And uh, you, you know, but there's always little things happening like drones and then infrared drones and, and you know, and uh, new cameras and there's always stuff coming into the industry. I don't know that it's all good. And, uh, you, you know, one could even say that technology that I came up with with the stands is a little, you know, maybe too advanced. You know, I'm, I'm sure there's some people that feel that way, but uh, probably I too. don't think. Good. Yeah. They, they probably like the biggest gripe is like, uh, the, the expense of it, like just the right, they're know. like, like I, you, you know, now I feel like I need this and it costs that much, yeah, yeah, I get that, but uh, you don't really need it if, if it's you know, if it's not in your budget, yeah. don't buy it, yeah, if it's weighing on you, if you should buy this or or make what I don't make, like make is your... the guys that uh, <laughs> that it's not in their budget, so they buy the Chinese copycats, yeah, that are, you know, working on putting me out of business, yeah, so. So in, in five years, what would, and I, I kind of get what you're saying that there's hate, hate, hate to call other companies copycatting, but, but I mean, it, it, what, but there's, there's been a lot of companies that are in this, in this space, in this mobile hunting space. And, and this year, maybe not as much as the last five, but there was an explosion of companies. I mean, in the saddle hunting movement kind of dovetailed with the, with what you were doing. And, mm -hmm. and there's just a ton of companies. I mean, personally in five years i mean i'm not nostradamus and i'm asking the question but i almost see some consolidation happening from the business side i don't know what that exactly means but there's probably a lot of people in business that that that, that aren't great businessmen but they've got ideas and they're serving the market and the demand is out there but in five years i think there's going to be some consolidation at some point in time but but if there's any innovation or or a trend, or, or where really do you see it in five years? I mean, it could be consolidated. There's a lot of things that could change a lot. Mm -hmm. Like I personally know there's a lot of patents in the works right now that could stop a lot of companies. Um, Consolidation-wise, yeah. I'm willing to bet uh, a lot of those smaller companies get bought out if they're doing well. I also think a lot of them will go bankrupt. There's going to be a lot of problems with money. It costs a lot of money to make uh, a high-end gear, a lot more than people believe. I mean, you got to invest a ton of money. It was even shocking to me how much investment. I mean, you you literally have to put millions into really do well. Otherwise, you're going to struggle. You're going to keep chasing your tail. Um, it, it's not you know like there's a lot of people out there to think like I'm getting rich off my tree stands. It's not really true. The price is there because that's where it has to be in order to, to, to even make it, you know, to be profitable. Um, but uh, as far as five years, I do see a lot of consolidation, but I also think there's going to be some things we don't expect. I didn't expect thermal drones, you know. Um, yeah. 
I think they're, you, you know, I think uh, I would expect um, um, cameras to advance a lot, you know, um, trail cameras to the point where they start getting cheaper, less smaller. expensive, get smaller. I mean, they're making uh, cameras outside of the hunting industry now that are the size of a tack that film pretty well. So I think uh, Shane Simpson called me. Uh, this has been a while back ago, but he's like, I want you to ask uh, Chad something from Exodus. He's like, I got this ring doorbell camera that last, he's like it, he goes, I put, I put like two double A batteries in it. I have to change it like every two years. It sends HD videos to my phone. And he's like, why can't we get that to the trail cam market? Yep. And there's probably some technical reason why you can't. I'm sure there is, you know, there's sensor and you know, whatever. He's like, it has a sensor in it where it picks up when someone walks in front of my doorbell and blah, 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 blah. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. But they, can, they can do it. It's just that the people with the technology and the ability to do it mm-hmm. make more money off a of door. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Right. Doorbell cams. And sooner or later, somebody's going to invest the money into making them to, to sell cams um, yep. because it's doable. Yep. And yeah, it'll be know. one of the big trail cam companies that comes out with it first. But as soon as one does, I can guarantee you everybody else will do the same. They'll have to, or they won't sell cameras. Yep. Hmm. It's just like uh, how, uh, you know, with cameras, it seems like everybody just focuses on the cell cam market now, you know. Yep. Um, Didn't Exodus even stop making regular cameras? They don't have one in the line right now. No, they don't have any regular SD card cameras. And the I mean, SD cameras work great. Yeah, I got a bunch of them still. Um, but they don't they don't have any that they sell on their website anymore. I think they're working on another one. But, you know, it's not, not on their website currently. So um, it's good to know they're working on one. Yep. Uh, I don't know. It's interesting. I mean, that consolidation is what happened to the industry, what, probably 10 years ago, whenever. Because um, when I was young and things were you know, starting to kind of pop off in the in the hunting world, um, it seemed like all these new companies were coming, not new companies, but like, like high quality companies like Muzzy Broadheads, Rage Broadheads, um, all these old tree stand companies, Dan, like Summit and mm-hmm. API all those like original tree stand companies, they all, I mean, eventually they were like some mom and pop kind of uh, boutique companies like we have right now in the mobile market. They all now are like, there's like two companies that own all that crap, you know, and a lot of it's crap now, but um, I don't know. Like 
yeah, and you're right. There's there were, there were a ton of broadhead companies. There still are. I think the internet took kind of destroyed the um the traditional distribution. You know, where there were manufacturers, they'd go to ATA, they'd sell it to the, the Bass Pros and the Pro Shops and the dealer network. And that was kind of the old way of doing things. And then the Internet came in and look at how many people sell direct to the public. When somebody launches a company, that's how they start. Right. And and so the Internet changed things back when when I started hunting. That was 21 when I started uh, deer hunting. And I think there was Mossy Oak and, and Realtree. Right. Camo. And when I started Stealth Outdoors in 2007-ish, I started looking at camo. I was shocked how many camo companies there were. I'm like, how can this be? Because we're always thinking of Mossy Oak Realtree. And they had that licensing model, right? Mossy Oak and Realtree dominated everything. Coats, clothing, guns, binoculars, bows, hard goods, everything. And when 2007-8 rolled around and I started looking for a camo company, there was 20, 30 camo companies then. And I thought, how can there be that many camo companies? But I was thinking the old traditional model, what all those camo companies were, they were clothing. They were a clothing line. They were like Levi's and Wrangler and Carhartt and all that. So that's how they did it, you know? And so now we kind of have that going on in the mobile hunting market. Everybody is selling direct to consumer online. The bigger companies are starting to, to go to that traditional distribution as they're spreading out. And I just, I don't even know where, what's going to happen in five years. I just thought it would be an interesting topic. I'd, I'd love to see some comments. Do you remember uh, the conversations that me and you had um, way back when the internet start, first started coming around? Um, I remember uh, telling you that uh, the internet is the way to sell. Now we don't have to go through ATA. We don't have to do all this stupid stuff because you had to be insured. You have to have $2 million worth of insurance to go in a store. And I think now it's $15 million. And I'm like, I'm going to go direct to consumer. And uh, um, we were kind of leading that. It wasn't just me. There was a couple other companies. But uh, I know Kuyu back in the day. There. Good. I think Kuyu was one of the first ones that brought it to the hunting industry. Like you said, it was about, about that time frame, Dan. Yeah. yeah. Um, there was a few yeah. people, but there's still the old school people, the ones that are mm -hmm. now selling direct to customer that were like no way you have to go to ata you have to go to stores yeah you, you know and those stores will, i mean literally me and you talked about it lou that uh, your product would be so more more expensive if you're in a store because they'd want 40 percent yeah you know at least 40 percent yeah you know um people don't realize that it costs more to put it in a store if you go direct you take some of that savings off which is important now because prices have skyrocketed yeah and, you know, there's another myth, too, um, that we didn't get into yet. Um, the innovation uh, myth. I hear a lot of people telling me that uh, people, uh, all these people copying products and stuff, that makes innovation and makes better products. I don't necessarily agree with that. Do you? You, you made that point the other day. I thought it was – go ahead and expand on, on what you're saying because I, I did not that, – that was something I think that you should share here because that was interesting, I thought. Yeah, I mean, um, when you're constantly fighting people in court and people are sending you the cease and desist and you're going through patent costs and you're splitting up your uh, um, product with all these other people, you don't have the money and stuff coming in from that product to develop new things. I have so many incredible ideas on the plate that we just don't have the money to do that I'd love to put out there. So it's actually stifling innovation. All these other people 
making the same products, you know. I, I found that interesting that, that rather than, and, and what you're saying is rather than flow that money into reinvesting in your product, into inventory, into research and development, it you tie stuff up in court. I mean, that is an inefficiency. And really, right. capitalism and, and business in this country at least used to be about efficiency. Inefficiency. It, it, it shouldn't it, take me, me 10 or 15 years to get a patent. Right. Yeah. I shouldn't still be going through this back and forth crap, you know. What Elon Musk said, he said uh, a patent is just a ticket for a lawsuit. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> That's going to cost me too because we're going to have yeah. to fight. Yeah. Oh, people ask me if I have patents on stealth strips, but did you see the other day we just got another registered trademark with U.S. Patent and Trademark Office on our yeah. on our stuff? Hang on, I got to get my fingers in there. I can't do it. I can't do air fingers quotes in that little screen. Stylized design. There. Thank you, Josh. How do you know? Stylized well, design. Well, what's that mean? It means our logo. They gave it to us on our. Oh, logo. okay, yeah, yeah. I but did see that. We we that. were going back and forth for three years about the first. They said that that uh, stealth outdoors needed to be in e-commerce. Now, why do you need to be in e-commerce? Can you buy a can of Pepsi in e-commerce? I mean, that stuff's been around forever. You buy it at the store. But there was something they said we couldn't prove that we were in e-commerce for. We've been selling since twenty two thousand. What else would you be in? I mean. All you got to do is go to the website and see that there's products for sale. And somebody yeah. told me, our graphic designer, Al, um, who you guys are going to meet in, in Michigan and in Kalamazoo, he's coming in. Um, he said there's something where you can go back and check the history of a website. So all U.S. Patent and Trademark Office had to do is go, yep, he's been selling for 13 years. But they said we couldn't prove we were in, in commerce. I don't know if they said e-commerce. So we rebutted that. And then the next thing came. And then... They said, we don't like your JPEG photo. It needs to be this size. So we sent it and, and the word stealth was gray and the word outdoors was, I'm sorry, stealth was black and outdoors was gray. I didn't even notice it. And I'm like, two different colors. You can't have that. And my attorney said something else to that. And all of a sudden, boom, July 7th, done. Three years, four years, four years of back and forth over our name and our little logo. Gosh, that's insane. Why the heck they care what color it is? Oh, it was loose. Yeah. I can't get my arms in the camera. I don't know. I'm throwing my hand. <laughs> yeah. It's, yep. I, I don't know. It's a, uh, it's something I do dread like dealing with as a, like a company owner is like that, all that stuff. I mean, I'm small enough where it's pretty easy, but it's like, I don't know. It's insane. Um, is there any, what, what else would, uh, you know, like advancements. So, so we kind of beat around the bushes a little bit because none of us really can predict the future. But, yeah. you know, without like, Dan, without telling us like what your next great product is, I mean, what else could happen to a stick? You know, the, the light mobile thing took off. What else could happen to a stick to make it lighter? They're doing carbon fiber. They're doing titanium. You've got weight reduction holes. Like you, you, you probably can't say if you got something, but I just, I don't <laughs> even know. That is, how that's I, an interesting question. So, so uh, I'm not interested in making a lighter stick. I have the stick that is the right weight. You get lighter, you get uh, less reliable. You start making out of plastics and carbon, you start having weather problems, you start having issues with certain things. Um, so I like a good aluminum silenced stick that weighs a couple pounds. I mean, two pounds is too heavy. Now, if you're yeah. if you if you're one of these guys that has to have something lighter than that, you're really a gear freak, which is yeah. nothing wrong with that. 
but you're not really a hunter. You're a gear freak. Maybe you're a hunter and a gear freak, but, and I don't have a problem with that. I mean, a lot of people love cool things. Awesome. Yeah. But a good aluminum stick is all you need. I mean, I'm more worried about how it grips the, the tree, how it functions. The how right packs up. Easy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Those are the things that matter, not lightness. I mean, lightness matters. We hit the, we hit the weight we needed to be at. You start getting lighter, you start losing certain functions. Like uh, the tree stand thing. Guys that are making them out of the same material I'm making them out of, now to get them lighter, are making the seat height lower so they have less tube. They're making the uh, platform smaller so they have less platform. Then they're saying, look, we got them beat by a couple pounds. Okay. It's already light enough, but now the guy can't stand on the stand. He's got to stand on one foot. He's got to hang one foot around a cable. He's got to, you, you know maneuver he can't shoot behind a tree i'm making it for a hunter somebody who's out to kill a deer so um i'm not the lightness thing really doesn't do me what josh you just said something a second ago about packing and um i spend a lot of time um not, not a lot of time but i talk quite a bit with uh, brian landry um mobile hunting gear he makes the stick talons and, and we talk about systems a lot packability you know and, and Dan, I know you have standard sticks, but I know from what I do that some people have your sticks and other stands or saddles. Your your stand, or I'm sorry, your sticks are used by saddle guys and stand guys, and some guys just haven't stepped up to spend the the money on the stand yet. So they'll have a lone wolf and your sticks, and just integrating all that stuff together. I mean, I really like what Brian Landry's doing with he's kind of pushing the system of how to pack stuff up um anything on pack i mean you guys are obviously and even me when i tree stand hunt i have your stand and sticks but i use brian landry's method to put that together i really like those talons uh, i don't mm -hmm. use the stacking rod um anything you guys want to lend on the system or packability yeah so so when i build something personally for me i build it for me for what i you know for the way i hunt how i hunt what i do i don't worry about coolness i worry about functionality about how quiet i'm going to be able to get the thing apart how easy i'm going to put it together if it's going to catch brush and i test stuff routinely so sometimes it might look like it's going to catch brush or something but if it doesn't and you can build it so it doesn't that's all that matters to me i don't care really about looks it can be a frankenstein as long as it, it functions flawlessly um i don't mind the the talons i think they're uh they're kind of a cool product but i like the way they screw together onto the onto the stand for me. I like having that little platform base in the back where I can put my coat on and stuff. And uh, for me, that's it. I don't know. I can't understand why anybody puts them flat. It makes no difference for weight the way that is. Um, and really, when I go through brush, the only time I've ever had a catch on anything from stacking is if I'm crawling on my hands and knees down a trail, which occasionally I do. But uh, otherwise, I think uh, stacked is a better method. Um, but that's yes, me and I'm the, I'm the opposite of Dan. Well, Dan knows that. I I just throw them. I like them because I'm I don't have to like I don't have to stack them. I, I just throw them on the back and throw my bungee strap over it and I go. That's it's just how it I works. Like. I just get a little more rattle out of that. Well, yeah, and I I've uh, I mean I just haven't. I just what I'm used to. You know, that's what I'm efficient with. Exactly. So you know. Part of it is um, you've got to get used to that that mm -hmm. screw knob. But once you get used to it, it's like, it's great. Mm -hmm. 
in my in my opinion. Yep. I haven't even tried it. I I just I don't go very high in the tree when I go, and I just I just pop a couple you know those talons right there, and and I just like it. But but what what he's doing as far as and Josh, maybe you can speak to this a little more because you seem to be more of. I think I know you had a saddle at one time, and you you seem to be more of a gear freak than Dan. Um, mm-hmm. What what sticks did you use before you had the beast stand or the beast sticks? Oh, the old, the old uh, lone wolf. Ri- yeah, the original ones. Yeah. Okay. And how did you pack them? The way they did them. Essentially, essentially the same as I do okay. the the beast sticks now. It's that's the reason I just I like I I'm just used to it and I'm fast mm-hmm. and I I just hard headed about it. And I that's guess. the thing. I did the same thing you're doing when I had yeah. the. the the lone mm-hmm. wolves. Yep. Just, just kind of my, uh, just my way of doing it. I don't, not saying it's right. It's just how I do it. You know, everybody does it different, but you know, some, some people focus on, on a, on a packable system and, and some like, like you do, you have, you, you have your threaded rod and how you use it. And Josh doesn't use that. And I do something different, but you know, maybe that's one thing that, that we, we could talk about a little bit is just how you, how, how others could mix and match and and Dan doesn't use different sticks and different stands, but you know, just putting other stuff together because it's being done out there, you know, like some people really like a certain stick and, but they like this saddle or they like a stick and they like this stand. And well, just when we put the holes in, we a lot of ways you can attach them things. Yeah. So that was part of the, part of the ideologically why we designed it like that so that you could put bungees around it. You could do this mm-hmm. bolt through it. You could do all kinds of stuff and still have that kind of a camel pattern out of it, have the lightness and have a better grip because your, your fingers grab right onto those holes. You kind of can see through it in a 3d way. But a big part of that, those holes was so that you could attach it in different manners and ways. Cause I knew there was going to be people with like, uh, they're set in their ways um, or they like a certain way of attaching um, more than other ways, or they're using different equipment where they can't just screw it to the equipment. So uh, that's why they're designed the way they're designed. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's a million different ways to skin a cat in the mobile industry. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Do, do Dan, do you think just um, just from feedback you get from customers, you think there's any? And, and you, you really kind of just said it. I was reading some comments and, and someone was pain in the ass and he texted me that, uh, that, that John Warren, he's a pain in the ass. And he's always, <laughs> but anyway, um, but, but do you see, you know, like altering your, your stackability system to, to give people some options. And you kind of said, that's why you have the different holes. And I said, I was somewhat distracted, but is there a better way you think you could, not that I want you to disclose it, but could your sticks and stand be packed better? that maybe you guys could integrate. Cause I know I don't think they could be packed better, but I think we could change it so that uh, people that like them flat would have a way to do it. I could see that happening. I don't know I, that I'm doing that immediately because right now I'm working on some really cool stuff. Um, but um, I do see that as an option of something that we could be working on. Sweet. I'd like that. <laughs> I like them flat. I, just, I don't like. Yeah, I just don't like things sticking out. I don't. Uh, don't know why. I just. It's like you've walked through the woods so many years in a certain way, and it's it's just hard for me to get used to a different way. Something else that's not fair is I used to have. I started with the long sticks, and th- those were a little harder to like get tight, weren't yeah. they, Dan? 
Yeah. So I honestly never tried the short sticks that I use now with the the rod. So short sticks are awesome. They rock in every way, shape, or form. <laughs> um, I actually, um, when I designed the long sticks, I, I designed them for the have maximum stride for weight. Mm-hmm. So um, being an R and D, there's certain ways we calculate things, you know. So I wanted to get as much step as you could out of each ounce of weight, right? So I made the sticks one stride length, right? So uh, um, I felt like that was going to get you as high as possible, you know, um, with weight reduction and stuff. And uh, you wouldn't necessarily need five sticks. Maybe if you like hunting high, you could maybe use four. And uh, Mario really wanted to go with the standards that are set by, uh, he's more of the, business you know nuts and bolts kind of following standards and stuff and uh the tree stand manufacturing association or no it's tree stand mafia association that's what it is right (laughs) they they have guidelines that are set up by um tree stand manufacturers to police other tree stand manufacturers to make sure that they don't get anywhere in their businesses (laughs) which is really what they do so they and you got to pay to be in that and if you pay enough they'll let you be one of the people that keeps other people out right <laughs> so uh anywho they had set up a guideline that like like uh don't let those people like infault make these sticks because then they'll they'll sell sticks that we won't so uh let's make them only 18 inches so they got this guideline for 18 inches so if you want to be in the tree stand manufacturers or mafias association you have to uh um shorten those sticks down to you can't have more than 18 inches on a step distance so mario is like we have to make them 18 inches or we can never sell them in a store i'm like well he was selling direct but he was like now nah, we have to i'm like okay let's try making an 18 inch one but i still want to sell the other ones he's like okay so we made an 18 inch one and honestly i was not real enthused about it per se but when we got it done i have to give mario kudos it was way better than the longer stick in every way shape or form i found that i still got the same height i mean within inches with the shorter sticks because of the spacing and because of the way it works around branches and bends or you still got to have the sticks in the same positions on the trees it fits the stands perfect yeah like you said the other ones were a little sloppy these ones aren't mm-hmm. um there's you know usually with a short stick you have kick out but because yeah. of the way we had the the teeth designed with our uh our engineering systems that we used they don't there's no kick out in ours at all they just lock solid you know where other short sticks kick out if you step on them wrong or if you're on a tree that's a little crooked or you Mm -hmm. know um, so everything about it the shorter stick was better yeah dan talk about your guys's the stand off on the sticks like people think that that's just like an antler bracket but you guys like took average diameter of trees right and like figured out Yeah, I used we used a computer system on on engineering computer systems. We got some advanced stuff because I work in R and D. So that's the trouble with the hunting industry. Ninety nine percent of the people developing hunting products are hunters. They're not advanced into to metallurgy or you know uh, engineering and stuff. Where I work, my whole life I've worked in um, R and D, designing new products, new mechanical products. So I've got a huge background in that. So we got a um, took a computer system and I, I put the diameters of the different trees that I hunt. I took a range of the 
types of trees I hunt and the diameters. And uh, then I develop teeth points and change distances and positioning until I had them where they fit all those diameters so they lock perfect. And then we changed angles and stuff. And the whole time we did testing, both me and Mario will go out, test it, come back to the drawing board, do some more tests on the computers, build a design, go test it. It took years. It's yeah. kind of funny. I mean, what it took us to build that stuff. And then these other companies just go and they, go, they look at it. They, they buy one. You see them, you see them buy it from our store. You know, they buy one stick and it raises a flag and you look who it is. And then what do you know? A year later, they have a developed stick just like ours. I mean, it's really easy to copy somebody, but to actually develop the first one and to design it around a tree. And still they, they, there's not a one that has the locking system that we have. No. And actually we, we, um, you know, went through the system too, to put the, the button at the exact position and with the angle that the, the, um, belt goes and stuff like that. And it's just, mm -hmm. there's a lot more into it than what people think. There's a lot more into the development, yeah. the designs and to tweaking it. So it's as light as possible, but still strong enough to hold a 300 pound man, you mm -hmm. know? And that's like the holes you got the holes in your guys' sticks. Like those were all, those are all like engineered to, uh, uh, keep the integrity of the, um, right. The aluminum tube, whereas, or it's not, it's not even a tube. Is it, is it, isn't it, don't you guys see and see the tube too? We extrude it. Yeah. Extrude so, yeah, um, most companies use just, um, tubing, tubing, yeah. but tubing varies in size up to 16th, up to 60 thousands. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, we we needed an exact fit because we wanted solid pieces that that uh, lock together. Mm -hmm. And if there's any kind of slop there, you'll have noise, you'll have movement, you know, you'll mm -hmm. have squeaks. Um, so to make sure that everything was true, we made our own extrusion so every tube is the exact same size. So then we, when we extrude our uh, our antler brackets, when we extrude our steps, everything is extruded to the exact sizes, so it's a locking fit. That's what I always get nervous where you see like uh, these guys like doing DIY stuff where they buy some cheap uh, aluminum tubing uh, mm -hmm. stick and then they, they start drilling holes out of them and stuff. It's like, oh, yeah, a lot of guys I've seen, I've seen guys do it and they'll show me like people I work with and stuff go, hey, look, I made a sticks like yours. And I'll be like, I'll look at it and I'll be like, you know what grade aluminum that is? That ain't going to that it's not the same grade that I use and it's going to bend. Yeah. Sure enough, they bend. Yep. And then you guys designed for a certain grade of material, a certain strength, tensile strength of material. Not all aluminum is the same. Right. Right. And same with your guys' standoff. Like you guys, you guys have it at a certain pitch to um that you know meets the requirements of a leaning tree and all this stuff. So your feet are still yep. uh, on a safe angle and it's crazy. Like it's not just a you guys just didn't willy-nilly you know, put some foot, foot uh, support on there. It's, it was all very thought out. So Lou wants to know how I'm going to make that stuff better. <laughs> it's already the yeah. best. Now we do have uh, stuff in the works though. We have uh, a new stand that I just can't wait to get out. It's going to take a while though. It's pretty much complete. I, I got it. I got it complete and showed it to Mario and he had a suggestion and it's back to the <laughs> drawing board. So uh, I'm working on a, a change um that he wanted that i think is probably a, a good change i think it should be a little better but yeah um 
that's well, going to have some innovative stuff in it too. Um, but I can't get into that. Yeah. And that's the thing is like, I, I'm of the opinion, like, I don't think you can make a better stand than the B stand. Like mm -hmm. I just like, I don't really want anything any bigger because then I'm going to struggle to get it into trees. It's going to have a bigger profile to where my, you know, anybody really, you get complacent up there because you got this big platform or something and you, you know, you're moving around more, you're doing all this stuff. Um, and then this, I love the height of the seat. Like I have a buddy that's really tall. He's like probably six, four and he's never really, he, he has like an old, um, uh, an old muddy, mobile stand back in the day like it's not really mobile it's not really a mobile stand it's you know it weighs like 14 pounds or 15 pounds but anyway he said on my stands like holy cow like this is this is nice like my knees aren't up in my chest like i love that portion of it because like you could stand up easy in it like especially a guy that's five foot eleven like me pretty average guy like i can i can get up so easy in that stand and, and get turned around whereas a lot of these dinky stands that people are making now it's like you're going to get up from a squatting position and try to shoot a deer that's five years old and, you know, on pins and needles. Like, I don't know. Not only that, it's going to be really uncomfortable. Yeah. If you, you want to have your, um, your butt, um, equal to your knee height or higher. Yeah. Cause it if cuts you go over center to get up. You're going to have problems with spooking deer. Yeah. Matter of fact, if I get deer close, if I if it's getting like to that time frame, I'll put my seat up on an angle and sit on it so that I can just slide to my feet because mm -hmm. um, that movement getting up is is what's going to bust you. Um, it's part of the whole system. See, a lot of these guys that are designing this stuff don't hunt the way we hunt. Yeah. Like they don't really hunt mobile. Like my biggest competitor has two hundred and fifty uh, stands on his ranch. He's not hunting yeah. mobile. He's selling right. mobile stuff, you know, but when, when you hunt mobile, the, where you find these big bucks in daylight, especially on public land, it's going to be on edges. It's going to be in that lone tree. It's going to be in that, uh, uh, fat girl stand. Right. Yep. And when you're hunting those type of spots, you're going to stick out like a sore thumb in a tree that's four or five inches in diameter and stuff. If you've got this giant platform, or if you've got this molly pack underneath your stand, yeah. You know, or if you're jumping up to stand up because your knees are higher than your waist, you're, you're not going to get away with that with a five or six year old public land buck. You're just not. Yeah. And I, you brought that molly pack that people put, put underneath the seats. People put that underneath the seats for the life of me. I don't understand that. That is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Like you, you spend all this money to buy a six or seven pound stand and then you put, four or five pounds of crap on it to make it 10 pounds. It's like, like, what, why are you doing that guys? Like the, the benefit of a light stand is not carrying it around. We're right. grown men. You can carry freaking weight around a, a little bit of weight. Like whenever, whenever you have that stand, like extended like this, trying to hang it in some awkward tree, that's when the weight matters. And then if you've got something hanging off that thing, off the seat, making it heavier, it's like you, you're, you're not doing yourself any favors. Like if you're going to have a pack with you, pull it up with the rope. That, those group hunts. How many times do you see a guy show up with that lightweight stand and then they got a pack three times the size of the stand full of garbage? Yeah. I yeah. mean, like my camera's I mean, in my pocket and my, uh, my range finders in my pocket, my ropes in my pocket. I got a yeah. stand and sticks. And well, I don't, I don't, 
I don't care if a guy wants to carry some stuff with him, but it's like, I don't see why you put it on your stand. Like that's don't connect it to your stand. Well, the thing with me is, I mean, you can tell four inch tree up, you know, out in the cattail marsh or on the edge of, you know, the edges, which is where I find all those big boxes, pretty much open terrain. You know, it's trees, but fewer people Mm -hmm. are hunting where there's woods, you know? So you get into those areas, you hang a backpack from that tree, even, even like a, uh, one of those little packs you put around your waist, mm-hmm. it's going to stick out from the tree. It's going to be something that wasn't there before. When I, when I'm sitting there, when that deer's coming, I fold that seat up. I don't want anything underneath that seat. Yeah. I get my body wired up against that tree and in line with that deer. So when he looks, he's still seeing one solid image going up where that tree's always been. And I don't move until it's time to shoot. Yep. Yeah, for sure. You got a you got a raccoon in your office, Dan? Yes, sir. I keep hearing something going <laughs> like it's a wow. raccoon talking. <laughs> little baby raccoons are getting hungry. Oh, that's what they that would is that's what it sounds like is a baby raccoon. Yeah. Anyway. Um I don't know. I'll get off my soapbox about people putting uh, attaching packs to their stands and leaving them. But um yeah, I don't know. Paul uh Butera, he 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 mentioned the other day. He's like this because he likes to carry a little pack, but he he's like nobody makes a pack that's like compactable anymore. They're all like these frame, big, lunky things. He's like, I like a really compact one that's just that's just uh, like fleece material that I can that, that kind of blends in the tree instead of this big gigantic frame thing. I'm like, yeah, I guess you're kind of right. They don't make that stuff anymore. Yeah, I like I like the pack that I got. It's uh, it's about six inches by six inches and it's got a little zipper on it. It's on the side yeah. of my jacket. Yeah. Oh, the pocket. <laughs> yeah. That's another word for it. But you know what, Dan, like I think if people would utilize, and I'm probably guilty of this, but like if people would utilize their pockets, they probably have enough cubic inches of pockets on them, on their body to fit all the crap that they need into it. You know what I mean? I think yeah. people just don't have anything in their pockets at all. And it's all in this fanny pack or a pack. Um, which I get, I kind of get because it's like you lose crap that's going in and out of your pockets and that kind of stuff. But you're probably right. Like it's, it's probably something people need to utilize a little more. You know, I, I just use pockets. I put one thing in each pocket so there's not like a, a pocket knife and a compass hitting against each other. The compass is sure. in one place. The pocket knife is in another place. Your keys are in one place. Mm-hmm. I take a cell phone anymore. That takes a pocket. That's usually breast pocket. And if I do an all-day hunt in the forest and I'm gone all day from sun up to sun down, I take a tiny little pack that I carry a sandwich, a bottle of water, an extra knife, and maybe a piece of string or something, you know, a couple odds and ends, you know. But that's when I'm gone all day. When I do an afternoon hunt, if it doesn't fit in my pocket, it doesn't go. Um, yeah. I And like Dan, I know you use that hunter safety system vest, harness, uh mm-hmm. But man, I don't that's hopefully he needs to make some innovation uh, on. That's what I was going to say is if, if, if someone <laughs> could, um, there's some good, good stuff. I can't like believe that. that it hasn't really advanced much. Oh, it's like it's the a, same one 20 years ago. The, the new one isn't any better than the old one that they make. Right. The new one I saw, it's the same crap. They just got it. It, it looks a little different. That's but it's the pockets are the same and everything. They have a so US like a they have a freaking like, you ain't got no, no no way of sealing the pocket. I don't want my stuff falling out. He goes, you know, we hear that at every show. Yeah, I bet you do. Yeah. <laughs> you know what's different about them, Dan? They have a USB cable built in now to where you can plug your phone into it. Perfect. And like and have a uh, it has like a like a, I guess a battery you could put in or something like 
Come on. You know yeah, what I like I mean, to see? It's a lightweight vest. You know, like all zipper drag. pockets that you can you can actually yeah, that has a harness built sewn into it. That's what I'd like to see. Lou, get to work on it. I, I, you remember we started that a long time ago. I, I'm not a sewing company. I, I you don't have to be a sewing company. It's job it out. Yeah, you're still uh, outdoors, man. Everybody buy it. <laughs> I know. I mean, I know a guy that does sewing and stuff. Uh, he makes that one I I use now, um, but it's not a vest, you know. But if he could, if he could make a vest with that uh, bottom on it and call it like the the beast harness or something, oh, dude, he would sell so many of those things. Um, so there you go, John Tucker. There's your idea. Uh, Dan, you don't have any desire to uh, make a harness, do you? I would imagine that like there's probably yeah. Some... I think I think we we would like to make one, but uh, yeah. I know Mario wants to make one. Oh. Never mind, John. <laughs> yeah, but is would Mario's be something different than what you're having in mind, or does he have like a different system? I don't. I've never hunted with Mario, so I don't know what he carries with him or anything. I don't know. He's got some ideas and stuff. I started talking to him about mine. I don't think he cares too much about mine, and I'm not really wanting to design and build uh, harnesses. That's not my cup of tea. Well, yeah, there has a to be more some realm, not mine. So I'm letting that yeah. be. Hey, but for me personally, out. what I would want is a vest that's lightweight. I don't want all those zippers and buckles, like car buckles in the front. Yeah, it's a little bulky. You could definitely lighten up that uh, vest you have. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. There's probably like a vest on the market that a guy could just, or you could have someone sew on to, uh, right. you know, that's already available. I know Primo's back in the day had a, it's called, they would call it like the bow hunter vest, I think what is what it's called. But it was something like the hunter safety system, but it had better pockets, like zipper pockets and all that kind of stuff. But it wasn't a vest. It was. I mean, it wasn't a harness. It was just a vest. You know, I have one probably up in my up in my loft in my barn. I think somewhere that's in a in a uh, tote. But yeah, I've kind of we've kind of talked about that for a couple of years, Dan. About someone needs to come out with a better safety harness. That's not. Yeah, I got too much stuff on my plate. Yeah. To worry about that <sighs> anyway we've been on here for an hour you guys want to see if there's any questions people probably sure you should talk about the show a little bit coming up here oh yeah the mobile hunter expo because uh, all three of us are going to be there right yes let's see here it's what is it the 28th 29th and 30th yep they changed it to friday afternoon saturday and and a good part of sunday into early afternoon, right? Where it was going to be Friday, Saturday. So it's going to be a three-day show. I believe you can use code BEAST to save a couple of bucks on tickets too, can't you? Yep. I, I don't know. We are... Uh, I believe we're, so. We're working on having a show during the thing. We got to check on some internet stuff and making sure all that's all um, going to be okay because, you know, our uh, we pride ourselves in good quality internet on this show where nobody right. ever drops or... I don't go uh, offline or anything, so we want to make sure that the internet's really good there. So you're gonna have, uh, what kind of merch are you gonna have there? I'll have these shirts and maybe some sweatshirts if they come in in time. <laughs> what about you, Dan? I'll have the um, the army green uh, beast shirts, which are uh, really cool and really popular, and I don't have them in my store yet, but I got a whole garage full of them, so. I'll be bringing those, and then afterwards I'll probably put them on the store. 
Um, but first dibs at them. I mean, that's what I was going to do with the last show we did. And we literally sold out of them at the last show. So I had to reorder and yeah. I just kind of just got them in. So I haven't put them on the store yet. So um, swing by and get those. What are you going to have there, Lou? Well, I've been, um, I got something the other day that landed. I, I hate to say this. We had something kind of big. Um, we got some, some hunting coats and some hunting shirts that came in. They are imported. I think the market told me they didn't give a crap about me trying to sell stuff in USA. And I listened and I went, okay, we're going to go overseas. We did We did a small run. I actually have one. I don't know why I got all these boxes out in the garage, but I got the shirts. You guys have seen the shirts before, right? So yeah, I have one of those. Have you, do, you have one oh. of those. It, oh, it's like, is, if you guys can imagine like a, uh, if it's a cell strip shirt, right, Lou? I mean, essentially. It, it's the same material. Actually, this is a little heavier. And then check this out. Yeah, it's out. heavier, but. We went with a full, where's my camera? Full hood, coat, zippered pocket. I'm sorry to get it in that screen. Hang on, stop. These are pretty heavy duty. I think these will go down 20, 30 degrees with layering for on stand, but it's got a lot of pockets and uh, we just got those in. I don't even have them on the site yet. Nice. Um, I heard that uh, Mario's going to be at the show too. Oh really? Mario and I were texting, and he said he's he's high percentage of being there. Good deal, good deal. Excited to see him. I've seen him since last year in Wisconsin. I don't even see him much anymore. He went in Wisconsin. Yeah, he was. Was that two years ago? Two years ago, yeah. Yeah, he wasn't at um, the Dells. He last year, last year he was in Wisconsin, so it was one year. But he yeah. wasn't in the Dells. Dells wasn't a year ago. Dells was in uh, spring. You're right. End of March, beginning of April. He wasn't there. Okay. Yeah, they they just there. had that. They had that show this weekend, don't they? Wasn't it this weekend, probably? Yeah, everybody's asking about me being there. I'm not going to be there. Beast Gear is not going to be at the... Uh, um, Deerfest? Deerfest. Deerfest. Deerfest changed owners, and it moved to Oshkosh. And uh, we're just not going right now. Feel it out, see how... It Plays out kind of thing. It was doing pretty bad in the place where it was. I mean, uh, the guy who was running it was having a hard time um, getting in good entertainment and good crowds. So, I, I went to that show in nineteen. Was it that? That was, I think, the best run show. It wasn't the biggest show. That guy did such a phenomenal job. I, I think all that. I even hate to use the word pandemic, but I, I really think that really hurt some people in a, in a bad way we we uh we did okay there because it was our crowd yeah and, uh, uh, when we go there it would be packed by our booth but you go walk at a soda or something the whole rest of the show was empty and there really wasn't nothing for booths i mean there's only a few good things to look yeah. at you know uh, was yeah. it 20 22 i wasn't there in 21 i was there in 19 and 22 and you could see the decline but that was after the mess and uh, it, it had changed, and it, it was a shame because I thought 19, that show was banging, and I heard it was even be better before that. That's the show that killed Dave. But, yeah. Everybody in the booth got COVID. Well, like half, mm. the, over half. I don't know how I Dave escaped. Of, You're from Michigan. Dave had just, just been, uh, it just got over his cancer. He was just deemed cancer-free, but his body was really weak from all the chemo and stuff. Yeah. And then the COVID killed him. Mm. So. Questions? 
the uh yep see you guys at the mobile hunter expo i don't think it's as big a show as like the those deer fest and all those field and stream ones we've been to so it'll be a little more oh it's gonna be pretty small yeah hopefully you'll but it'll be more. a focused group it'll be a you know mobile hunters so it'll be a focused group so yep exactly i'm looking forward to it i think it's gonna be great yep uh mike thank you for joining the membership man i appreciate that so what uh, weekend is that is that uh two weeks so it's the 28th, 29th, and 30th, so essentially three weekends. Okay. Um, okay. Ron's Garage asks, can you explain night beds versus cud beds a bit? How do you identify a bed as one? I think like cud beds, I think he's talking about. I think he's saying the same thing. Explain that seems like cud beds. I, I would def define them as the same thing, too. Right. So, uh, uh, they can be very hard to identify. I mean, the old school logic was always, well, night beds are out in open fields are used once, you know, the grass is just laid down in one spot, but that ain't really true. Um, and I, I discovered that through trail cameras. I mean, we had, uh, bedding areas that we thought were really good buck bedding areas and we'd never kill a deer in them, you know, and then... You're like, well, when are they using them off? You know, I'm hitting this at the wrong times because there's a lot of sign here. And you put a camera in there and you find all these deer bedding at night. But what we have found is most of the time they're right on top of food. Um, but so can um, regular beds, right? Night or day beds be on food. And there's some beds that are used at night and during the day, you know, um, some bedding areas. But uh, most of the time, you know, they're in a tree line or they're in grass or right next to food or right in food. They'll lay right in food for a night bed. But mm -hmm. some of your mature buck will still go back to cover to bed um, and take all the precautions. The older they get, the more paranoid they get, the more they understand the dangers out there and the more they worry, kind of, you know, from my perspective. And the older ones will sometimes go back, but you'll still see some older bucks bed in fields. But I see that more on like private cushier land and public land bucks tend to go back to, to beds. So it can be pretty hard to decipher and it can fool me sometimes. Um, but generally they're close to, to, to food. Um, but like I said, so can good yeah. daytime beds. Right. All right. Can't, they can be. That's one of the big misnomers about that is a lot of people think that they're not worn out, that they're just occasionally used. Yeah. Um, some of them could be really worn out. Well, one of those bedding areas I was talking about was at Dave's place. I used to find these big sheds in the bedding area. Used to find tons of sheds in that bedding area. And the beds were worn right to the dirt. There's big rubs in them and stuff. It was in a tree line. And it was like, you'd never see the bucks come out of there. I mean, occasionally some small buck would be bedded there or something. You'd be like, what the heck is going on? And then with cameras, we found that they were coming in there and bedding after night. they fed. Yeah, I mean, night beds are like a prime place to find deer sheds, you know. Um, so that didn't surprise me at all. Let's see here. Mike asked, if money was tight, would you rather invest in an expensive boat or an expensive stand? Hmm. I'll give you my opinion because uh, 
Dan obviously sells expensive stands. So, who do you think I buy a stand? <laughs> I would a hundred percent buy a stand. I had I had like two buddies last year get into hunting, and they were wanting to buy the biggest and baddest new bow for the first their first bow, you know, and I they're going to spend like fifteen hundred dollars on a bow with the sights and the arrows and everything, you know, and I was like. I'm like, guys, you take that, take the money, buy a stand and sticks, and then, and then whatever's left over, then buy you your bow. I said, you're going to suck. You never shot a bow before. You're going to suck anyway. None of this new technology is going to help you. Just buy one that's five years old, spend 500 bucks on it, and then take the other thousand dollars and get a stand and sticks, and it'll last you the rest of your life. And, and I mean, I think that's logical advice, and nobody should have any other opinion. <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, you, you, you know um you're pretty much right and, and the reason i say that is because there really isn't a big difference between a 500 bow and a 1500 bow a little bit of speed or whatever doesn't make a huge difference it really doesn't i mean no, uh, the, the speeds the haven't changed though. drop the bow and i mean drop the string on either bow and uh i don't i don't yep. think you save a lot you, you know um you just got to get good with the bow you got to pick yeah. one that fits you well. Who makes it doesn't really matter. No. I mean, I tend to uh, buy my bowls from, I make sure I buy them from good people I like. That's yeah. literally what I do. I mean, look at the hunting yeah. public. I, um, they decided to do all Walmart bowls or Kmart or wherever they went. Yeah, they bought a, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And they're killing deer. I mean, if it um, mattered, they wouldn't do that. Right. Now, with uh, that said, I don't think you have to buy one of my stands either. I don't, I don't think that that's a necessity. Um, you can kill them without it, you know, um, but it has its advantages. And yeah. I think the advantages are above that of a buying an expensive bow. Yeah. Yeah. I think what the technology has gotten better with bows over the last five years is how you can work on them and tune them has gotten better. That's true. That's true. And I, but, like I would imagine to say 90% of hunters that makes no difference because you don't know how to use it or tune a bow anyway. Yeah. They go to a pro shop anyway. There's 10% of us that are nerds about it and can tune our own bows and stuff. The rest of everybody just takes them and the bow tech works on them, which it doesn't matter to that guy anyway, because he knows how to do it all. So if you're into that kind of stuff, yeah. Like those are the new bows are easier to tune because they got, you know, cam spacers that you can pop in and out without taking the axle apart. I mean, all this other stuff that's really nice for like guy like me that tunes his own bow. But if you're not into that, it's like, I don't know how much technology has come now. Like there's advantages, but like a lot of like prime, you know, uh, there's advantages to buying certain bows because of like warranty things like prime gives you new strings and, um, every couple of years and, transferable warranties and all this stuff. That's all stuff you got to look into, but it's like, you're not going to use any of that stuff. I don't know. Is it worth spending $1,500 on it? That might be where your technology comes from, Lou. Maybe they'll change bows up next. Maybe it'll make a little crossbow so you can fit your palm. They they have some, they they have some smaller ones. You know, it's kind of funny because I'm listening to this and I, I do use a crossbow and I hunt off the ground a lot. But my last crossbow, I bought one of those Parkers before they went um, uh, out of business. And I think I spent 500 bucks. So I always get a kick out of these, these people with these, you know, there's some, there's some expense when you get into accessories, 
there's some people with two, $3,000 compounds. And I look at these things like my buddy Ron came over here one day with his bow and my jaw dropped. He opened it and I went, oh, I'm like, what is that? And he's like, what's wrong? And I go, that looks like two to three grand. And he goes, yep, that's 2,400 bucks. And I said, I'm the cheater with a $500 crossbow. <laughs> yeah. Well, how much are those Hoyt uh, carbon bows now? Um, I'm going to look it up while we're talking here. Yeah. $1,800, $1,900. And that's without the, the stuff. That's the, bare, the that's the bare bow. Yeah, $1,800 looks like the going price for them. That's crazy. So maybe that's the answer, Dan. Maybe things are going to go um, uh, more expensive than carbon fiber. I don't know. I, yeah. Um, I would, but I... But my answer would be, if you're asking me, is I would get a good stand of sticks and then because um, it, it's going to last you your lifetime and then you can upgrade to a bow whenever you get the, the funds to do that. And that'll last your lifetime, too, if you take care of it, you know. Um, well, comparing stand and sticks to bows, I always thought it was interesting when people I, I think hunting bees took a little bit of heat for how expensive their stand and sticks were. And, and I'm like, where are these same people outraged over compound bows? Uh, just because it's always been that way, it seems like they've always been expensive. I mean, relative to the economy, they've always been expensive. Gosh. Um, uh, let's see here. Pharrell asked when we're going to see still strip clothes. Well, we talked about that. I think, I think I just showed him. Uh, he asked it before we yeah, start you talking about your blue jeans enough and use them as patches, and you'll have stealth pants. Yeah. yeah. That was a tip I put on here. Jason Samkowiak said on here, he's, he is using his stealth strips to patches like backpack and stuff. He had a rip in his backpack and he stripped or he uh, patched it with stealth strips. I, I get holes in some. There of you go. Da Lou, make a backpack for people. They freaking love it. Paul there's was a, just. I don't use a backpack. I wouldn't know how to research what people want. And there's so many. That's I mean, it's such a crowded field, but I just patched a hole in a, in a shorts pocket the other day. I'll wear some shorts so they get some holes in them. And my pocket knife fell out of my hole, uh, out of my pocket the other day. So of course it got stealth strips. Yep. Let's see here. True Hunter ask when you know of multiple bucks, what is the deciding factor for you to go after a certain buck on public land? What is it for you? How big it is usually. Hmm. Usually. For the most part, I mean, unless it's just like some impossible spot that I don't think my odds are going to be, you know, good to hunt, kill it. But for, for me, I mean, size is obviously a factor. Um, history is a factor. So I like going after bucks that I got a history with that have uh, evaded me for a while, um, almost like payback. Um, but um, I certainly weigh out. Um, how easy I think it'll be to kill them. And I don't mean easy, easy, but I mean like uh, difficulty. Like yeah. a better word, how difficult it'll be. Um, in some cases, um, certain bucks could be near impossible to kill in certain terrains and stuff. Where in some areas you, you're like, okay, this buck is better than one out of 10 spots and 10 hunts, I can hunt this buck down. In another spot, it might be like, this could take me the whole season. And if there's, you, you know, one's a 150 and one's a 142 or something like that. I don't really care about size that much. 
uh, I care more about, you know, the age class and uniqueness. Now, I mean, if one of them is 200 inches and the other is 146, well, maybe I'll go after yeah, right. one. But uh, um, so there's just, there's different factors, but it's not necessarily the biggest one I'm going after. Um, sometimes there's, uh, you can go and um, hunt a buck a lot easier. Like um, last year, for instance, I had a um, nice 10 pointer coming in uh, constantly where I had a cell cam monitoring a point because i want to see what was going on during rut there and and sure enough there's some does working a nice 10 pointer coming many of you probably remember the videos mm. and uh it was kind of like low end of what i wanted to shoot but uh if it came by me and i was hunting i'd have to shoot it kind of thing and uh i was really urging um rick to go out and and, and shoot it because he hasn't gotten a public land buck in a while and uh, I couldn't talk him into it. And he's like, ah, what are the odds it's going to show up and all that kind of crap. So then I finally went out there and hunted it, but didn't get it. But it was one of those ones where I could have killed it. But I was going after something bigger because it was much bigger. And, yeah. I, you know. Yeah. I usually try to, I mean, I usually have like a few bucks in mind and I'll give in order in my mind, whichever one I want the worst, you know, I'll give it a few hunts and then move on. Um, unless I got some new Intel or something that I think's changing. But as soon as he, when, as soon as I think he's onto me, I'm kind of like, okay, um, let's give him a little time. And then maybe I'll circle back if I still have a tag and all that kind of stuff. When I was your age, it was more about size. So I'd go after the impossible deer when I was your age and, yep. and uh, how big it was is what mattered. Slugworth, you call someone who fishes a fisherman. Why don't you call someone who hunts a huntsman, hunterman? Good question. You're a hunter man. That'd be funny. Maybe we'll start a trend. Hunter's man. Hunter. Yep. I'm a fisherman. Fisher. Hunter man. Okay. Hunter man. <laughs> now it is. You start a whole new, uh, you get all kinds of t shirts made. That'd be, that'd be a good YouTube hunter man like, YouTube channel. Yeah, that's what I said. That's what I said. First thing I thought was like, that'd be a good YouTube channel. Maybe we'll switch the name of this uh, podcast to Hunter Man. Uh, and then somebody could have Hunter Them, and somebody could have Hunter She. Could... <laughs> <laughs> Hunter Pride. I don't know how you run the show, talk, and read those comments. I've been lost in the comments for a while. Yeah. yeah I struggled with it when I first started, but wow. I'm. Uh, I'm much, much more efficient with it now. Needs a secretary. Yeah, once if we get any bigger, I'll probably get someone to feed me questions. But I don't want to. I don't know. It kind of makes me sad. I like to. I like to do it myself, kind of. Um, well, it's nice to you, pick out the right ones. You got to have somebody you trust. Yeah. Yep. You know, otherwise you get questions from Zeke. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. He's, he's kidding. Yeah. He's awesome. Uh, yeah, he is. Uh, Jeffrey asks, when are you guys going to have another public land challenge together in the same state? Okay. Well, we just, we just finished one deer season with one. Give us some, give, let, let deer season come back around. <laughs> yeah. So we have challenges every year yeah. in our group. So when he says public land challenge, it makes me think the hunting public. He's probably talking about the hunting public. Yeah. So the hunting public, um, we discussed it a little this year, so we might be having one this year. Wait and see. Yep. That's up to um, them, though, not me. 
they they name a spot i'm going right that's kind of their uh their thing to invite uh people on what's the weight limit on the sticks 300 pounds there you go um Oh geez, some of these, some of these comments are tickling me. <laughs> I saw three people give me a shout out. Hi, Mark. Hi, Zeke's dad. <laughs> who else was it? Western New York bow hunter. Anyway, I can't type comments while we're doing this. I mean, I don't know how to because I'm not on YouTube. <laughs> Here's something, Bob. A photo, Bob asked. Uh, we kind of touched on it, but not really, Dan. Do you think the race to create the lightest gear can be done safely? You mentioned loss of function, but what about loss of safety? No, it can be done safely, but is it? I'm yeah. actually shocked that there's been as little um, accidents as there's been. I mean, I've seen people uh, gluing products together. I've seen people riveting products together. I've seen um, people designing lightweight stands without doing any kind of outside testing. So they're only testing their way, which um, they might not be thinking of things that like a uh, R&D or a person who always tests stands would test. Like uh, I'm an R&D expert, so I know how to test things for weight. And I yeah. go above and beyond the testing that they do um, when you send it out for uh the, like the third party testing yeah. that uh, yeah. tree stand manufacturer association demands. Um, I go above and beyond that. I test tweak into the sides and stuff like that where they don't test for that. They have one specific test, but most people don't even send it to them. I mean, there's a lot of people with this and that's part of the problem with what Lou was talking about earlier. The great thing about uh, selling on the internet. Well, anybody can sell on the internet. So now you get more stuff coming out, right? But all those people selling on the internet, you really should be doing your due diligence to make sure you're buying stuff that is properly tested. Because if a guy isn't testing his equipment and he's selling it, you know, um, you can get hurt pretty bad with some of that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, there's little things that they won't see or won't understand. Um, and some things don't just like uh, bend right away or something they give out over time. Right. There's, you know, there's a lot of problems can happen when people don't know what they're doing when they're building the equipment. Tim asks, is there going to be a stealth camo dip B stand? <laughs> dip, it's covered. Dipped. Dipped. Is your uh, stealth camo dippable? No, it's not, but we could dip them in, in like smoke. That's my pattern. I'll we'll, work something out. I'd love to see my stuff on some hard goods. I tried, I got to talk with, um, gosh darn it. Uh, uh, is it Matt Grace, the, one of the owners of G5 Prime? Prime? Yeah. I saw him up at TAC, and I, I felt a little guilty after I got back. I was kind of elevator pitching him. You know, I thought his stuff is so close, like that generic camo that they're putting on their bows. I'm like, man, I'd love to see this in your stuff. I got, I don't think I got aggressive. He's pretty laid back, but um, I, I'd love to train. Clearly, stealth strips that aren't going to be dipped, but the pattern, I think it, I think it skylines well for bows and tree stands. It'd be awesome. You mean you might make smoke dippable? Yeah, absolutely. We would do that if someone had some interest. One hundred percent. The, but for the time being, just buy smoke camo uh, stealth strips and 
Did they buy it too? Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Wrapping would be better. It makes it quiet too, not just yeah. colorful. True hunter asks, you think the old way of hunting is, is ever going to go away? Is mobile hunting going to take over? I say no. Yeah, no. I think the old ways of hunting are ever going to go I think, away. Is mobile I think he's talking about like leaning a ladder, standing up against a tree in the woods and sitting in it on open and day. That's the old way? And over hunting stands and just old traditional stuff. I no, Dan and I. Traditional way is the traditional way of hunting. He he just worded it wrong. The way of people rotating through stands and putting a stand up and going to the yeah. same spot over and over. It's never going to go away. No. Ever. I mean, literally, people think because they they watch all these podcasts and all this crap that there's just millions of people out there hunting the way we are. When actually, I think we're probably four to six percent of the population uh, mm-hmm. of hunters. I think the majority of hunters do not hunt like us. I think we're the we're the outsiders. Yep. Did you I see the question? Did you see the question there from Modern Michigan Bow Hunter at nine twenty two? Not that far yet, Lou. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting there though. Um, he didn't have question marks, but yeah. I had my name in it. <laughs> Here you go. Pharrell asks, what do y'all think is missing in the mobile hunter's kit? What's missing in this industry? I, I don't in think the there's anything. In this kit, I don't know what the kit means. Yeah, just like, is there anything that hasn't been developed that needs to be developed? Or um, I'm, I'm going to say... I'm going to say this. I, I love saddle hunters, but my mind explodes every time I get around some of these expos. There's so many little things. I'm like, I'd forget that. I'd forget that. I'd forget that. I don't even shoot a compound because I'd forget a release. I shoot fingers on the longbow and then I shoot a crossbow. And I know someone just called me a cheater for doing it because um, I'm not disabled, but whatever. It's legal. Yeah, mentally, you're disabled. I'm. Yeah, there you go. I'll take that. Uh Slugworth, thanks for the donation. He says, let's see the coons. I can't. They're uh, they're in here because they're sick. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I shouldn't. I shouldn't be messing with them. Um, the Tennessee Valley Outdoorsman asks, is, hey, Josh, ask Dan, is BCR going to make any more saddle equipment? He says, I like the bat platform a lot. Yeah, we're working on some stuff. There you go. Stay tuned. Lou, I'm still not to your question, so that's fine. I can't really I can't really elaborate, but yes, we're working on some stuff. Any of you at the PA show? Me and Dan won't be. I don't know about Lou though. No. Okay. Joey asked a good question. Any tips on placement of pop-up hunting blind placement in different situations? Hmm. My suggestion would be to leave it there a long time. Yeah, I may. Mm-hmm. I, I may put some blinds up this year for Maddie. Um, yeah, I think if I used one, it would be at a food source, and I'd probably leave it alone, and I probably wouldn't expect a whole lot. I mean, killing mature bucks out of a you know, targeting and killing mature bucks out of a blind is pretty hard. I mean, if I was on a small property, say you're on five acres, there's one spot you can hunt. 
Maybe you put a food plot there or something, and that's where you're hunting when you're on that property. I can see putting a blind there and leaving it, especially if you have a back access, mm-hmm. a way to get into that blind without actually walking where the deer walk. Yeah, I could see that. Yep. You think brushing them in good helps a lot, like for whitetails? Even if you it's not brushed truck, in. You put a truck out in the field to walk up to it. I don't think you have to brush them in, though. I think what, what can make a difference, though, is if you have the windows closed and then the windows are open when you sit in it. Deer are pretty observant. They see something mm-hmm. different in a tree. They notice it right away, like a stick on a tree, uh, uh, a blind, anything like that. Anything that's different than what it was. It's like you think about walking into your kitchen one day. You come home every day from work. One day you walk into your kitchen um, and the kitchen table's upside down. Uh, you'd notice immediately. Yeah. Um, a stick on the side of a tree notices immediately. Yep. What'd you say, Lou? I said just moving the toaster, you'd notice it. You don't even have to flip the table upside down. That toaster gets moved. Right. Like, move the damn toaster. <laughs> um, Josh asks, how would you hunt a bed that's used both night and day? Mm. I'd hunt it for daytime and hope there's nothing there. Actually, actually, uh, it wouldn't matter, right? Because you go in there and you, uh, you're setting up, uh, not in the bed in there, you're setting up in the staging area where they're coming out. So what does it matter? Yeah. So if they're used both, you just set it up for, for, for when it's being used during the, uh, daytime, right? Right. Bill's asking, I know you've gotten this a lot, Dan, about, uh, since day property is sold, do you think the landowner will let you hunt it? Or you'll move on. I don't know. He asked for my information. I know that because uh, Dave's sister uh, asked if she could give it to him that he wanted it. I gave it and I held off on taking my stands out um, until the last minute. Then I took them out because I never heard from him. Um, I still might hear from him. I don't know. Uh, they closed on the property the other day. The whole thing was kind of weird. Um, I was... Um, I did consider um, buying it or buying part of it, um, but they wanted an awful lot of money. And uh, somebody, um, friend of the family, had claimed everything and uh, said that uh, she was keeping this, keeping that, and she was buying the house and the farm and everything. And and then uh, she ended up buying nothing and they sold the farmhouse without saying nothing to me. So I didn't even know that was going down. Yeah. And then, and then she said she was buying the rest of the farm, but didn't want the hunting portion in the back, which was 20 acres. And I'm like, okay, you know, then I'd have a really weird easement. And then she was on the out, but they still wanted a ton for that. And the guy that's living in the house kind of, it's just trespassing all over the place and yeah it, it was a bad deal so uh i didn't think they were going to sell it that fast i actually went and did a lot of work put food plots in because they had no for sale signs up yeah so um but i don't know if to get back to the question i don't know if that guy wants to let me hunt there or what i, I doubt it he probably uh just wanted to meet me is what i'm thinking um my idea of leaving the stands up wasn't because i thought he was going to give me permission it was because if he 
did meet me and wanted to know about the hunting on the land or something I was going to offer to sell them the stands that were on the, on the land instead of taking them down. Yeah. Um, but I never got no contact. So I took them all down and hopefully I run into another property or something or some situation like Dave's. Cause I like kind of messing with properties like that. It was kind of fun. Yeah. All right. Devin asks, will mooring downward thermals take over the predominant wind direction? Thermals pushing down to the east ditch and a west wind. Pushing down to the east ditch and a west wind. It depends on the steepness, the heat, and the um, amount of wind. So generally, um, thermals trump wind in hill country. Um, especially if it's steeper hill country, the thermals will always wind, especially in the evening. It's not too hot. You know, most evenings get, you get calmer mm -hmm. and that, that thermals will beat the wind. It's not every time, but, uh, I would always set up with the thermals in mind. Thermals first in hill country. Right. If it's flat land. Don't worry that much about the water thermals and stuff. That's when it's calm. But in hill country, thermals usually rule. Right. Buck Norris asks, is a pretty good question. When going out of state, is there something you all believe is underutilized for homework on a place before people go? He said, I study maps and talk to wardens or biologists from the areas before I go. What do you I think? think uh, well I last think, year? yeah. Um, I think uh, local knowledge is underutilized, like, like getting some information from um, you know, someone that's been there or is, is from the area, it's probably something people, um, could do a better job of figuring out, you know, um, that'd be my one thing. I mean, you, there's only so much a guy can do, you know, it's not like everybody's going to tell you exactly where to go or anything, but, um, yeah, I think the thing that's helped me the most, and I underutilize it myself is talking to local biologists um sometimes you get the cold shoulder where they don't want to tell you anything but some of them are really really helpful and i've had uh biologists and uh end game wardens that i've talked to um tell me about new properties that are just opening up that nobody knows about i've had them tell me about uh properties that don't have access that are, are easier to get to biologists have helped me a lot in telling me where age classes are because they do studies on the classes of the animals on, on the properties and what's getting shot there. And if a, a property has a higher age class getting shot, you know, more mature bucks, that's something that would really come in handy knowledge-wise. Yeah. Yep. Hmm. I'm almost to 920 here, Lou. It's 940. I know, but you said there's a question about you and not at 9:20. Oh, oh, 9:22. Um, but there was a bunch of questions at 9:22. It was uh, I scrolled past. I was reading them when you were talking about buck beds again. <laughs> here, here's a here's a good one. We'll get to them here. We'll get to a few more. Then we'll get off here, guys. We've been on here for a while. Fishing with Phil asks, why do bucks prefer the leeward side of a hill? Dan, this is right up your alley. You could spit this out in a short for me. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, where a buck beds on the leeward side is when the wind comes over the top of the hill, 
there's a point where it misses the thermal coming up the hill from the daytime. And where they meet, there's two winds that collide. And that's where those bucks bet. And generally, they like thickness above them and they like to see below, but they can smell above and behind them and they can smell below too. And they'll get breezes from all directions. Um, so in my opinion, that's the main reason that they like to bed there. And it's also the reason that they cruise on that elevation is because they can smell those from different directions. All right. Modern Michigan bow hunter says, does having a full beard help camouflage your face? Says Lou, have you ever been picked off because you're clean shaven? Yes, I have. Now I don't I don't shine like a Christmas tree ornament. I don't hunt mature bucks, but I kind of enjoy when I stand one up because I walk around a lot. And it's not really I'm not walking around. I mean, I'm creeping around, I'm crawling around. And sometimes they stand up and look your way. And I kind of like that old poop look on their face. It's kind of satisfying. You know, and I got my big shiny face out there. <laughs> I, I think it's because they can't smell you because you don't have a beard. Your beard doesn't smell. <laughs> I was going to say, they smell my stealth strips. It doesn't always help you. Sometimes your beard turns white. Yeah. If I did, I got, I got enough gray hair. I don't grow a beard because it just drives me nuts. If it you were hardcore, you'd dye that hair green during the season. Camouflage. You could, yeah. you could dye, you could tie dye smoke camouflage. Well, you just wrap you look, stealth, stealth patches all over your face, like in camel powder. Close. I think it looks like, like smoke camo. You could shave your hair into patterns and have snow camel. <laughs> I, I think it's pretty damn close. Uh, yeah, you're close. Dan, do you? Uh, I know a lot of guys grow their beard out for deer season. Do you? Do you have any like? Because you were clean shaven for. I've seen pictures of you clean shaven. You you could be clean shaven tomorrow. You'd never know with Dan. Right. Yeah, I I don't really grow it out for for hunting. No, no. I think uh, I think it helps to have a little stubble on your face, but uh, my stubble is starting to turn white. Yeah. Uh, guys, we've been on here. For you a and you, you're clean shaven. You look like Lou looks there. I mean, you look like a baby face, shiny head. Yeah, you can. I haven't been clean shaven. I haven't been clean shaven in a long time. Uh, you had to see pictures of me. Yeah, back in the day when I first got out of college, I worked for a company that required you to be clean shaven. Um, that's the only reason I was back then, but, um, yeah, you won't see me without a beard. My wife does not like it. I shaved before Easter, uh, a while been years ago now, but she got mad at me cause we were taking pictures. She's like, you shaved. I'm like, yeah, we're taking pictures. And she was like, yeah, we're taking pictures. I'm like, Oh, sorry. Um, my wife, my wife would like me to look like Lou. She wants my face always clean shaven. She doesn't you, win much. You listen well, don't you? Yep. All right. Let's end on this one. Dan and Josh. Lou, you can include this being this. You know a lot of hunters. Pick you got to end on a question that Lou wanted. You can't just. I, I got it. I think I got it. it. Yeah, I got it. The Michigan uh, bow hunter. Um, about about his, uh, his baby face. All right, Dan, Josh, and Lou, pick three hunters that you would count on to get it done in a season to save the world's extinction. Existence. Existence. Sorry. I read like a good sixth grader reads. Three hunters. If if I had to bet on three hunters. Yep. I would probably pick, uh, I'll just say three. 
I'd pick Andy May, Dan, and Zach Farrenball. That's a good picks. Uh, let's see. Um, I'm, there's probably better ones too, but I just, I'm in the sake of time, I'd say that'd be a good three. I would want to say Miles Keller, but I don't think he'd be modern. Right now, I think he's too old to be doing that. Last time I saw that guy, ran into him at a place and he could hardly walk. Yeah, he didn't specify. Yeah. In their, uh, in their prime. Modern day. Jeez. I don't know. I think the ones that you picked are good. I'd say uh, instead of me, though, I'd pick you. Oh, gee, thanks, Dan. Sure. Well, I've got a new addiction, and it's watching uh, Larry Legend or Larry Bird old time eighties basketball stuff. And Pat Riley. Pick... we're talking about bow hunting. Uh, hang on, I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna relate it. I'm gonna relate it. So Pat Riley, you all know who Pat Riley is. He said, if I were gonna pick somebody to take a game winning shot, I'd pick Michael Jordan. If I was gonna pick somebody to make a shot to save my life, I'd pick Larry Bird. So. I'll put Dan at like Michael Jordan. So I'm not putting Dan in here because he's going to make the game winning shot, but he doesn't kill a Booner every year because he holds out. So Andy May, uh, I think Aerobender, my cousin, is very consistent. And like to save the existence, I mean, you're getting it done. Where Dan will hold out to the end. He'll eat that tag if he doesn't get his target buck. Um, I got to pick a third. Ted Bright. There's like a million guys you could pick that would get it done. There are. Yeah, I mean, and in, uh, and in not picking Dan, I at least hey. called him Michael Jordan of hunting. I see what you did there. I learned something today about Ted Bright. Yeah, he likes he eats, oh, he eats woodchucks. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> he asked Dan to save that for him. The next next show we're at, we're together yeah. to get it. He was upset that I wasted the woodchuck. He likes ah. the woodchucks. Vermin. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like answering. I don't like answering those questions because I always feel bad. Like I left. Like Aaron Warbritton kills a couple deer every year, and um, you know Jared Scheffler. Jared yeah. Scheffler, you know. I mean. Yeah. Now you're making me think. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I like Aaron. I like. Uh, I like Jared too. Um, there's so many guys. Oh yeah. I mean, there's uh, unlimited amount of. I know a lot. A lot of guys that like. Uh, like send me private messages and stuff that aren't known. Yeah. That are just killers. I mean, yeah. way more than the people that are known online, you know? Yeah. Yeah. My but my buddy Alan, like he kills like like half a dozen animals a year. Like not even just whitetail, just animals a year with a longbow. And so like I don't didn't even think about him. Like um yeah, I, I don't know. That's it's fun to think about though. Um everybody, thanks for hopping on tonight before you leave, hit the like button and uh, someone Farrell asked we should get Jared on a show. Yeah, we could because he he said he would. We just haven't reached out to him yet. We talked to him at the last uh, last show we were all together at to, to do a show together. So yeah, I don't know. He was supposed to do a hunt with us last year, and he never even answered me. So we'll see. We'll try. Yep, we'll get Jared on sometime. We can we can try to to do that. Be a good guest for he us. did he did uh, send me a comment about the woodchuck. So. Mm. There you go. Be good. Good in for you. Yep. He'd be a good person to talk about ground hunting because people ask us about ground hunting quite a bit, and we don't. And Dan don't. He'd know. just be a fun guy to have on. I like talking to that guy. He's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. He says stuff that's bizarre and off the wall. I like that. Yep. 
hit the subscribe button before you leave, guys. Thanks for hopping on tonight, and we'll talk to you later. Thanks for having me. See no problem, Lou. Oh, hey, before we leave, I, I uh, linked Stealth Outdoors in the bottom, so make sure you go over to stealthoutdoors.com and check out what Lou has going on. It's in the bottom of every episode, but I put it I put it like in the top at the in bold letters tonight, so you guys could find it real easy. So thanks, Lou. Thanks for all the support. Appreciate it. All right, everybody. Talk to you later. <laughs>